Welcome to Win Win, a podcast from the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at the Waterford Institute of Technology. I'm your host, Bruce Wardrop, and in each episode, I'll be chatting with someone who works behind the scenes in sport, helping athletes to maximise their performance potential. If my guest is winning, hopefully their athletes are winning too. In this episode, I'm catching up with Deirdre Lyons, Player Development Manager with Rugby Players Ireland. Deirdre, you're very welcome to the podcast today. Thanks very much, Bruce, for having me. Uh, No, it's my pleasure now. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. I think so far on the podcast up until now, I've had a lot of ologies. I've had sports scientists and I've had psychologists and physiologists and a few strength and conditioning people. So I'm excited to have someone who's in a a different area there, provide some new, um, a a new role to discuss and explore. Oh, yeah. And I suppose player development management is is relatively new. Um, you know, when I took over this role eight years ago, uh, yeah, there was two, three people in, in, in the country doing it. I suppose maybe people might be familiar with the Institute of Sport and the Performance Life Skills. So it's, it's the same kind of idea. So we help players to, I suppose, maximize their time in the game, but ultimately prepare for that transition out of professional sport. Okay, so like that, helping players to maximise their time while they're in the game. What what do you mean by that? Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I suppose we I suppose we try to change the narrative a little bit because if we were working with eighteen year old players, you know, if we started talking to them about you know let's prepare for leaving the game, you know, just blank faces, don't want to hear you, and that whole concept of athletic identity. That's why they're there. They want to be athletes. They want to be professional players. So. What they don't need is me coming in going, ah, but this is going to end. So we we tried to change it around. And we looked at other models around the world. And I suppose Australia and New Zealand have been doing this for years. And this idea that while you're an academy player, it brings the opportunity to maybe study while you're playing. Um, but then as a professional player, you know, you get to build that personal brand. It it opens doors. People want to talk to you. People want to know you. There's good business connections. So you can really maximize your time because you're not training 24 hours of the day. So what else can you be doing? And whether it's learning skills like public speaking, um, looking after your finances, because I suppose as a professional sport, they are paid. So how can you, you know, maximize, I suppose, what you're being paid at quite a young age? So if you look at some of the players who are maybe in their early 20s, what they're earning compared to their peers, um, you know, so there can be advantages there for players. So we want to, to help them take advantage of those. But ultimately, their career will come to an end. Um, so we have to prepare them for that as well. Yeah, when I was preparing for this podcast now, I was kind of thinking about the career of a rugby player. And I suppose, you know, even though I, you know, I've worked behind the scenes with lots of athletes over the years, you know, the, your first thought is possibly that all these professional athletes do is that they spend all their time training and preparing for competition. And that's it. Um, but there's a lot more, to the, well, there's a lot more time that they spend outside of training. So then I was started thinking about, you know, a young player who may be coming from, you know, an academy position like you mentioned there and they are just purely itching to play 
uh, they're itching to make the first team. That's their that's their very very specific view of who they are and what they want to become. So yeah, I was curious. How do you start to engage with them? I know you, as you said, you're not going to come in and say, right, let's think about retirements. But how how do you start? Where where do you begin with a young player like that? When would yeah. when would you sorry? When would you maybe first engage with them? So we represent uh, all professional rugby players. So we, I work for Rugby Players Ireland. So we are the Players Player Association. Um, so we work with the four provinces, Connacht, Ulster, Munster and Leinster, from when a player joins the sub-academy. So that's usually kind of leaving cert or when their leaving cert is done. Um, so I think sub-academy is now called NTS1. So usually from about the age of 18. And would they be technically a, a contracted player? Once they hit academy, so at the next level up. So, you know, academy are our members. The sub-academy aren't, but they're, they're there or thereabouts. So they'd be on our radar. We may go and talk to them and their parents while they're in Leaving Cert, you know, around CAO options. And, you know, if they're thinking about a career in rugby, what might be possible? Um, and maybe some of the challenges that come with some of the heavier courses, like the sciences, the technologies, um, the ITs or the languages or teaching, so, you know, if a player wanted to, say, do something like engineering, to let them know what that looks like as a dual career alongside rugby, say, compared to something like that's a little less heavy, like commerce or arts. Like We're pretty lucky in that rugby encourages, the academies encourage players that come into their academies to have something alongside that. Um, so we work very closely. So I'm based in Connacht, so I'd work closely with NUIG and GMIT and some of the private colleges like Satanta College or Open University to make sure that players, I suppose, know what's out there and know what their options are. Is that something that the players will always take up on? Or do you have players that will say, no, I just want to be a rugby player? Yeah, of course you get that. Um, I suppose we are looking in a lot of parents of rugby players are professionals themselves. So they very much actively encourage their sons or, or their daughters, if you're talking about the, the women's seven say to to do something but not all players are academic they're just like the rest of us in society some might want to do trades some might want to be interested in in coaching or or snc um and then you have the others so like it's very very individual so i'm lucky in that i get to work with them individually so i will sit down with all the players when they enter the academy and create i suppose a little action plan you know what are they studying you know, what supports do they need? Are they living away from home for the first time? Because a lot of these players will be learning life skills. They need to know how to wash their clothes and to go shopping. And, you know, so we'd, we'd work with the nutritionist. We'd work with the mental skills coach. We're part of the multidisciplinary team. You know, how can we make this guy or girl a better rugby player? Um, and as you said, they're a person first. So they will have, you know, all the same stressors as the same young people of their age added on top of that their rugby career as well. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of our listeners here now might be reflecting back on themselves and, you know, the challenges they faced when they left to go to college and start studying their their courses, but without having the added pressure mm-hmm. of being a, a professional athlete thrown in on top of it. You know, simple things like cooking dinner you can't be relying on takeaways and and stuff like that if you're a if you're a if you're a professional athlete so yeah there's lots of layers to us so like time management would probably be one of the the biggest skills we'd we'd help the the younger players with just about 
you know, you'd meet them and they'd have their rugby timetable in one pocket and their college timetable in the other. And you're like, well, you're not two different people. So we need to find a way to, to work these together. And, you know, there is a little bit of handholding for the first year in the academy in the hope that by the time they reach year two or year three, they're more self-sufficient. So I'd help them. I'd go in and meet the lecturers with them. Um, you know, we'd look at their college timetables. We'd map out the, you know, the points where there's going to be stressors, like when the assignments are due or when, um, you know, their exams are. So they need to learn to get up in the morning, to come into training, to prepare for their lunches, to get on their bikes and fly across town to, well, when we didn't have COVID. Actually, COVID has been surprisingly helpful for players in that they now do most of their stuff online. I found that, you know, not having to commute has me meant that there's lots more time. I'm probably doing a few extra hours work in the week, but I'm also at home for a few extra hours because you're not on the road. So I can see how that would be beneficial. Yeah, and, and lecturers are more flexible because they've learned to be, you know, more flexible and, and understand that, you know, people have different things going on in their lives. So I'm, I must say that the colleges have been um, very helpful to the players um, and most players get through college, you know, some slow track. And it depends because right in the middle of that, then you've got the under 20s, which, you know, any aspiring rugby player wants to be in the frame for. Um, so not only are they grappling with with college and rugby, then you throw an under 20s to the mix, which is, you know, very time intensive. Um, and sometimes they just have to defer or take a year out and, and return to college uh, at a later time but I suppose that that's what we're there for we're there to just help them through that and it'll depend on the individual that's something that's, that's advice I give to, to to any people as well is that you know you don't have to take the traditional linear route through college you can you know defer a year start as a mature student you know there's plenty of ways to work and, and negotiate your way through education and and like any student going into first year if they don't get their first college choice you know there there are so many pathways to you know, accountancy to law to to business to sports science to physiotherapy. That it doesn't always have to be the traditional. Get it on your first go through CAO. So then I'm I'm picturing you know it's it's quite clear there how you start to interact with the, with the younger players, and I'm sure you're working hard to foster a good relationship with them and their family. What about when they make the next transition from from college? Uh, out into a professional life or maybe maybe work do many of the players work as alongside the rugby or is that something they might put on hold while they're a professional player no professional rugby is pretty much a, a full-on you know seven day a week job I mean they'd be in their in their branch you know at least four to five days of the week and then they have all their extras their rehabs their you know, massage, their movement, health, their nutrition. So they'll usually pop in every day and then games at the weekend. So there isn't much time to do much else. But what we do encourage are things like job shadowing. Um, we're building quite a big past player network now of players who've gone into other professions. And if I had a player who's, who's leaving the game and maybe they want to, to study accountancy, it's nice to be able to to link them in with a past player who's done that route, because I suppose there's there's quite a big fear. They're they're confident and and they're professional in and they're at the top of the game in their current job, and they have to leave that and start more or less at the bottom. 
And so the older they get, the harder that is. Um, so for players who are leave the game at 23, 24, they can slot quite easily maybe back into the to the workforce because they're not that much behind their peers. But you take someone in their late 20s or their early 30s, um, it's far more difficult. So we would encourage them to use maybe some of their summer break or some of their, their downtime, you know, to do some job shadowing somewhere. So just interesting there, you mentioned the different ages that someone may or may not leave the game. Is there a, you know, a, a, an average or a fairly typical career for, for, for a provincial player? Like what age would they normally start and how long might their career last? Yeah, so they'll, they'll come into the academy usually at 18, sometimes 19 or, or 20. And, and that lasts about three years. But some players might be fast tracked depending on the age and also on the position. So some of the forwards might um, develop a little bit later. Uh, but that's generally so if you're talking typically, it's three years, 18 to 21. And then a, a, a typical professional contract lasts seven to eight years. So that brings them up to about 27, 28. Um, but you'll get players who unfortunately will be let go after the three years in the academy. And you'll get players like Peter Stringer and, and Donnako O'Callaghan who, who played well into their 30s. So, um, but, but typically you're talking late 20s, early 30s for, for players leaving the game who've had a good career. Okay, very good. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is a decent career at that, uh, at that level. Um, and unfortunately, then I suppose there are going to be some who might have to leave early, like you said, whose contract mightn't be renewed or, or picked up beyond the academy. And then you might have players with injuries. I suppose is that I know it's you hear occasionally of players who have to retire early. So I can imagine you know you've got the process started. You've got brought players through academy into the the early stages of their career, and they are um, you know they're they're, they're developing holistically. But then if a player does have to leave suddenly through injury or illness or something like that, is there, how do you continue to support them or do you continue to support them? Yeah, so we have a saying that they're once a member, they're always a member. So we will support all our past players and even players who might go abroad, um, you know, who, who get a stint in France and, and then come back. So, we, you know, we, we try and, and keep in touch with all of them. Um Part of our player development program is, you know, we look, we do some work around self-awareness. So, you know, what are their values and their skills and their strengths so that players get an idea of who they are and what they want to be. Now, obviously, they want to be professional rugby players. So sometimes having those conversations is difficult. But when a player knows they're leaving, they're really motivated to find something else. Um so we'd work very intensely with players who've either been told that there's no contract there or players who've suddenly got a, a career ending injury. So the career is one side of it, but, you know, I suppose the mental health side of it is is the other. And, you know, dealing with that emotional roller coaster of, you know, I'm not going to be a rugby player anymore. Who am I or what am I? Um, and un- unfortunately, a lot of us are defined by what we do. Um, and it, it's trying to break down that, you know, that saying and say, that, you know, you're not what you do. You know, what is it? Who you, what you do is not who you are. You know, so getting them to find passions and interests. So it helps if they've engaged with you from the age of 18, 19, because you know them then by the time they come to 25. And you might know what interests 
they have. You might know what degree they have. So it's easier. You've got something to work on. But occasionally we get players who don't engage until they get that bad news. Um, and then it's it's quite an intensive support structure to put around them then. Yeah, I imagine that would be very difficult if, you know, your your whole identity is wrapped up in in being a rugby player or being a soccer player or being an athlete, whatever it is. And then one day it is almost like a switch that that is can be switched off and you're left wondering who you are and what are you going to do? That 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 must be fairly intense and difficult to manage. Like one of the initiatives we bring in, so every year we will get two or three past players to come back in and talk to the current squad. And you'll notice there's always one or two in the audience going, that could be me at the end of this season. Um, and like that past player network is just becoming more and more important. Um, and the more players that we have helped in the past, you know, can then say, look, you really need to go and talk to, to Rugby Players Ireland. And we have three past players in our staff as well. So if a player doesn't feel comfortable talking to me, they can talk to, to someone else. Um, and a lot of what we do anyway is signpost. So we've built up quite good relationships in businesses. So as I said, if, if you know, they want to go into law, you know, we, we've got some partners in law firms, accountancy firms, IT companies, um, and even through our own sponsors. So, you know, it's sitting down and one of the exercises we do is like, who's in your network? So, you know, who's at your club, all the clubs that you've ever paid for, you know, who's in your fan base, who's on your social media, who's in your LinkedIn. Um, And and it's amazing. Like even the sponsors, partners, like the players know way more people than they realize. And I suppose that's what we're talking about about maximizing their time in rugby. So this was when we did have games and we did have, you know, people, you know, getting to know your sponsors and getting to know businessmen and women, you know, who are fans. Um, it puts players, I suppose, ahead maybe of, of some of their, their non-playing peers in terms of, I suppose, walking into a job afterwards. Yeah, but it's interesting, you know, just to, it's similar to what we might say to our students, like networking. Yeah. It can feel awkward and difficult, but it's 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 uh, it can pay dividends. Like, I suppose my networking over the years is paying dividends here with the podcast because I've got a, a network of people that I can pester and ask to talk to me. But, you know, that 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 has uh, has paid paid uh, paid off for me. And it, yeah, be just even being aware of, of who you're meeting um making a connection and realizing that you can go back to that connection at some time yeah. if, if there's something you might need or uh, need a bit of help with is, is great. Uh, you've mentioned there a couple of times about, you know, the, 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 um, the athletes, their, their personal brands. Um, and I guess with um, the advent of social media in particular over the last couple of years, players, uh, they've always been in the spotlight, but they are probably under a, maybe a, a more intense spotlight um, at the moment. And that's probably got some good and bad things going along with it. The goods is probably the personal brand. So it, how how does a player develop their personal brand? You said you, you asked them to sit down and develop, think about their who they are and what they want to be. So how does that translate then into opportunities or maybe income or something like that for a player? Yeah, so again, it's, you know, what are, what's a player interest? What are they passionate about? One of the pillars of our program is social engagement. Um, you know, so we've a lot of players who are involved in charity work and not for profit. 
So, you know, a big part of it is looking to see who they are and being authentic on social media. Um, so, you know, what do you want to get out of it? And, and sitting down with them and making a plan on, you know, what platforms do they want to be on? What kind of messages do they want to get across? What kind of, I suppose, followers do they want to attract? Um, you know, it, it's usually the agents that would work. So most players will have an agent. So they will work on, I suppose, trying to get some commercial deals for the players. But but when they're young, we would do a lot of work with the players on I suppose, kind of what to say and what not to say on social media. Um, and, you know, what's public? Who can view your profile? You know, just even Googling each other and see what comes up. Um, because I suppose there's just been, there's just so much in the spotlight. And what you don't want is a tweet that they put out when they were 18 coming back to bite them when they're 24. Um, so we work with some, again, we would bring in a lot of experts to the players who would do social media audits and would, I suppose, help them and support them to, to develop that brand. Um, but it comes back to the player knowing themselves and what they stand for, um, you know, and what they're interested in. So like, if you're a player that's interested in coffee, you know, if, is that what you want to get out, you know, you going around and, and trying different coffees in, in, in different um, coffee shops around the city? So, uh, yeah, it all depends. It's, it's going back to that individual. So what works for one player will not work for another. And what you don't want is that bland you know, bland tweets, thanks for the boots or thanks for this. And, you know, you, you want them a bit of their personality coming out in it as well. Sure. And I, I suppose then the, the picture I'm developing in my head then is that the more they've probably engaged with you guys, the more they understand or have a vision for themselves, the better able they're going to be to uh, to to vet these opportunities that, that are presented to them. Is this a good fit for me? Is it a bad fit? You know, how will I how, how can I maximise my opportunity here? Yeah. Absolutely. And um, again, you know, a lot of what we do is, is signpost. We're not the ex- experts in social media. So, I mean, if they really were, um, I suppose if they really wanted to develop themselves in that route, well, go and invest your time and, you know, find someone who can help you with that. Um, but it's it's all about opening their eyes to possibilities that are out there. In the same vein there that, that we discussed that the you know the being in the spotlight can be advantageous. Um I'm guessing as well that the intense scrutiny that players face can be sometimes problematic if a player doesn't have a good game or if you know if they if they do something that people don't agree with, um it can be very easy for them to 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 hear what people want to say and it can be kind of difficult to switch off from that especially if it's coming through on social media like there's been loads of cases recently of maybe high high profile soccer players speaking out about online trolling and um, and I'm sure the same happens to rugby players and GAA players so do you guys have structures in place to help the athletes deal with that kind of stuff with their mental health and well-being? Yeah so like we've recently launched during the last Six Nations uh, and be kind it was like little um video tweets that we we put out and just like some of the abuse that players get is it's just astounding um so there are social media guidelines you know for players in and the lead up to games and after games you know they put a social media blackout so just not to engage in the trolls um you know and especially when you know a match could be very emotional whether it's a win or a loss um and again 
on the, I suppose, the mental health side of things, you know, we, we do have a mental well-being service that players can access. So we have a, a clinical psychologist in, in Mark Smith who would triage a lot of the players. So it's all about the relationship with the PDM on the ground. So, you know, you could chat to a player and we'd all be on social media as well. So if you if you did recognize that a player was getting a lot of abuse, you know, just chatting to them to see how are they with it and, you know, is it affecting them and their game? And sometimes it affects their family as well. Um, you know, people even go for, for players' families. So um, we offer the service to, to players and their partners. Um, and yeah, if, if players need help, you know, dealing with, I suppose, the social media pressures, because like every every internet app now nearly has a comment section. So like people don't even read the articles anymore. It's straight to the comment section. Um, and, you know, we, we try and teach them like, you wouldn't engage with this person if they were saying it to your face. Well, they probably wouldn't say it to your face anyway. Um, um, but it is hard to ignore, and it's 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 a, it's getting worse. Um, yeah, and is it something that you guys spend? Are you noticing that you have to spend more time helping the athletes to deal with this? Yeah, because I think there's just so many platforms. So on one hand, you're encouraging the player to get on these platforms to build build to build their fan base and to build their brand. And then you have to say, well, actually, you should stay away from them. Um, and, and you'll see everyone's on their phones. Um, so it, it's really hard to tell them to stay away from their phones. It's more to how are you going to deal with this? What's the strategy you have in place? How do you feel behind the scenes then, I suppose? Well, I'm again, I'm imagining that if I was in your role, I'd feel protective of the players that were in my in, uh, under your care. Um, is it? Do you find it difficult yourself not to reply on their behalf or keep your keep out of it yeah we have a very good comms manager in, in Richie McElwee so we would I suppose he would do the comms responses you know and a lot of them is you know just be kind like and don't engage you know the trolls want to be fed so it's it's very difficult to to not go look at, that's now how it is at all you've got this wrong um, and you know attack the performance if you want and, and give out about the team but you know this thing of tagging the players themselves in, you know, the responses is, um, yeah, it, it's just terrible. But it's it's another stressor that now players have to deal with in their journey. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. I can imagine. Well, I guess I can't imagine how overwhelming that might be. Might be if through multiple channels consistently those messages were coming in even if it is only for maybe a short window after a performance and then everyone moves on to to Mm. something else but it could be very very overwhelming and intense in that short space of time um and and yeah it's 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 the strategies to you know can you turn off your phone can you mute your notifications and i'm finding more and more players are moving away from i suppose the the more toxic ones like like twitter and they're moving to instagram which tend to be a little bit nicer <laughs> platforms to be on. But I mean, you've got fan boards and everything like that. And it's just, don't read them. You know, you know, you wouldn't take advice off this person. So why would you take criticism? You know, and they're the kind of things we try and get across. Yeah, I've seen some people even say that they go so far as in the run up to an important event or a match that they just, they keep, you know, so they can keep their phone, but they'll delete Instagram or delete yeah. Facebook for a week and then reinstall it when it's, uh, when, 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 the, when the moment or the performance has passed. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a nice compromise there that they don't have to face up to it, but still use their phone. Yeah. 
And, you know, most of the stuff is, well, it's, it's baseless. It's, you know, yeah. <laughs> the people wouldn't say it to their face. That's it. Yeah, it's just too easy to say it uh, mm-hmm. over, over, the, over the internet. Um, you mentioned earlier on then that you guys, you support the, the, the male uh, players and you also support the, the, the female players as well. So is it the female provincial players as, uh, or is it, did you say it was just the international players? It's just the international players, so just the national team. Um, I suppose that the provincial players don't have, you know, regular squads or they don't play regularly enough. And then the AIL leagues just aren't at that professional level. So once they kind of get into the national squad um you know we support them and then like like the men we would support them for life so you know once they're in i suppose they're in and the the women's sevens as well yeah i get the my my sense of it is that there's been a fairly rapid evolution in the with the female national side over the last couple of years would you say that's a fair reflection of what's going on yeah i mean i suppose they have been there thereabouts now covid has you know thrown everything they were you know, they were playing regularly and I suppose they haven't played in, in the last year, but, you know, women's sport in general, um, you know, there's only one way it's going and that is, you know, it's up. Like we'd like to see more investment in the women's game. And I think the opportunities now that have come up in like the UK, some of their women's teams now are professional. So you're seeing more and more of the women go across to the UK to play and to actually make careers as professional players. Um, the difference between the women and the men, however, at the moment is the women still have to manage that dual career. So most of them are working or studying alongside their sport, whereas the men don't. So um, for them, time management is absolutely massive and they have to take usually time out of their work to play rugby. Um, so their challenges are, are sometimes quite different. Um, and it's it's challenging to be, how can I be a professional rugby player? You know, the best rugby player I can be while I have all this other stuff to try and juggle. Yeah, it's kind of echoes what, what you see in the GAA with the, the, the players trying to manage yeah. what is essentially a full-time professional career, uh, sporting career uh, with a, a professional career as well. Is there, do, do, you, do you feel that the tide is turning on that for rugby? You'd hope so. Again, I, you know, we were closer to it probably a year ago and, and with COVID and less money in the game, it has probably, you know, knocked things back. But hopefully with the World Cup, again, that has been delayed for another year and the Olympics being postponed, unfortunately. Um, but I think once, you know, the, I think once the 22 World Cup comes around again, it will reignite that kind of, women in 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 rugby and there has been investment I think there was something announced there in the last two weeks about a new kind of league that their world rugby are hoping to bring in for the the women's team and I suppose the more investment that you can get in the game the more I suppose televised there's a great opportunity now with the women's six nations coming up because there's no other sport on um so that's a, a great opportunity to to get people to watch the Six Nations, um, whereas previously it may have been competing with the men's game. Yes, okay, and when it, when it goes head to head like that, it's uh, not an ideal scenario. Yeah. What about some? There's been a couple of really high profile players like Neve Briggs and Fiona Coughlin. Like, have they are they paving the way for more female athletes to follow? Yeah, and I mean, when you look now, it's quite exciting because the squads are actually quite young. 
Um, and we don't have the pathways yet for young girls to, to get into rugby, but I suppose we do have a tradition of Gaelic games and, and hockey and basketball and other sports. So rugby actually has quite a good, I suppose, talent ID um, system going on where they'll, they'll look outside rugby um, to see what other sports. And again, it's the, an opportunity for a young female player to go if I want to make you know, maybe a professional career. Rugby is a way that I can do that. Um, and as with the men's game, you know, it takes all shapes and sizes and skill sets. So that, that's what's really attractive about rugby. Um, you're not just looking for one particular type of athlete. And I think as well with, with um, say, Fiona and uh, Neve, the work that they've done since they've transitioned out of their international career in particular into the media side of things is, uh, I think that's, uh, doing wonders as well you know they are really uh, establishing a position a stronger foothold for for women in uh, in in sport and in broadcasting and sport as well in particular yeah and you know you see even tg Carr at, at the weekend for the munster leinster game you know they're really good for having female co-commentators and, and female you know broadcasters on their panels um you know even on the men's game as well as the women's game so bit like that whole 2020 movement, you know, can't see it, can't be it. Mm. So, um, you know, I think they've been really, really positive for the, for the women's game. And, you know, just even on our player development management team, there's seven of us now and six of us are female. So in terms of just working in different provinces, you know, I suppose we want to see more and more females working in those areas like physiotherapy, nutrition, SNC, and hopefully eventually coaching. It's funny, and I'm thinking back to one of the earlier episodes when I was speaking to Caroline McManus, and she was given an example of a conference that she was at, and she was speaking, I'm, I hope I'm getting this right now, she was speaking at a conference, and she was asked to uh, speak about, you know, inspirational or, or you know, high-profile uh, coaches that she'd worked with over the years, and she said that they were all, you know, the majority of men, nine out of ten of them were men. But it was funny, after that we were having a conversation and I, I find that in my career, uh, it's been the opposite for me. I think that, that in, particularly in Ireland and, you know, behind the scenes in sports, that I have a load of female role models that I'd look up to and aspire to, that they're doing like such fantastic jobs such behind the scenes. So it's, hopefully it's, it's something that'll, that will, will, will change and become a lot, you know, more people will have the same experience that I have uh, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the same, you see Joy Neville on the, you know, the the referees and, you know, it's just becoming, you know, hopefully if young girls are out there, they can see careers for themselves in, I suppose, areas that were particularly male dominated in the past. And, you know, there's so many sports science graduates coming out now that they can hopefully go into any discipline that they want. Absolutely. Well, on that, that's a nice little uh, uh, transition there. So if we have any of our listeners there who are think that they, they, that your job sounds interesting, that this is something that they might like to, to, to pursue, how did you end up doing what you're doing? Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned Caroline there. So, I mean, I did sports science in, in UL. I won't even tell you how many years ago. And I worked at the NCTC at the time, which is now coaching Ireland. And both Caroline and I worked in player athlete services and I wanted to be a physiologist um you know so I tried that out for a while and you know it just wasn't for me and I suppose 
you know, Pat Duffy and with Giles Warrington, you know, they went down the path of research and kind of player services. So I would work with, I worked with like the nutritionists and the psychologists about building support teams around, around athletes. And it wasn't until then I went back to, to do a PhD looking at kind of long-term athlete development. And it wasn't the stages that athletes pass through. It was actually the transitions between those stages that really got my interest. And at the time, the Institute of Sport were launching their first transition program about how do players transition into the Olympics and out of it. Um, and that's where my whole interest in transition comes from. And I finished my PhD in that and took a role then in, in Rugby Players Ireland because, um, you know, schoolboy into academy, from academy to a development contract, development into senior, and then back out again to the real world. Um, so a lot of it is, you know, maybe there is a bit of a psychology background to it, um, but a lot of it is just that that wish to, to help players. Um, and it, it's not really at the performance end. You'd hope that if you're helping them outside the pitch that they would perform on the pitch. Um, but it's, it's just that work of, you know, dealing with the person. Um, and it's all about relationship building. Yeah, I, I think you're being a bit harsh on yourself when you say it's not on the performance end there. I think that if you take a step back and look, this, is, this has a huge impact on, on performance uh, on, on what the athletes are doing. Being a bit modest there. Yeah, I suppose, but sometimes, you know, they players like coming to you because you're not going to be the person who's going to talk to them about their training or their performance or, you know, it's it, when you when you say to them, how are you? You're really asking them, you know, how are you in general <laughs> without, you know, all that performance baggage that, that comes with it. Very good. So I, I am reading between the lines of what you're saying there. There's no specific qualification that you need to get into the, to the job uh, more well, it's not a vocation but if it's, it's it's an interest in that area and a desire to help the players um so with that in mind like is there any would you recommend that players seek out placement opportunities or is it the type of thing that you can do a placement in shadowing someone in the job it's it's difficult due to the very personal nature of the role um and we've had people you know can we can we job shadow you but there are a number of short courses that that players are students would be interested in this kind of role. So the, the TALS course, the Talented Athlete Lifestyle, um, that's run in the, the UK. And that gives an introduction to kind of what is this area of, you know, in the UK, it's called lifestyle management. So how do you help the players off the pitch? Um, and that's quite good. A lot of roles... But, but more and more people are coming from the sports psychology route as sports psychology is broadening its focus to not just look at performance, but to look at well-being and welfare as well. Um, but also people who've got an interest in education um, or in counselling and just having, you know, conversations and, and, and supporting people. So that whole, again, it's back to sports psychology, understanding transitions um, and understanding identity uh, but a lot of the time you're building relationships with colleges and work placements and um, you're doing a lot of groundwork for the players themselves okay so that might be that that tals course might be a first port to call for anyone who's looking to pursue it mm-hmm. and take it step by step from there incrementally from there yeah and, and just like one of the the main things we look for when we're hiring someone is they've got experience of that kind of high performance environment 
So just being around athletes, knowing what it takes to be a professional athlete, knowing what, you know, how to work within a multidisciplinary team. So it doesn't really matter if, you know, you come from a nutrition background or you come from S&C, you know, it doesn't really matter the, the background. It's that, you know, you've got some experience of being around high performance athletes and coaches um, and supporting so that you know what a player is facing in that environment. Okay, that's interesting to know. You, you know, play experience that they could be building up in other disciplines could help them down the line uh, transition into this yeah. type of role. So just being around athletes, yeah, understanding, you know, and I think sports science definitely gives a, a good understanding because you understand all the different disciplines. So you'll know what the nutritionist maybe is looking for and you'll know what the S&C coach is looking for. And, you know, if you can help them improve their areas by helping a player to, to time manage or to, you know, have the skills to be able to go shopping and budgeting, you know, that makes their job a little bit easier. Yeah. So being a, a little bit of a generalist uh, is useful. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being a parent, great, uh, <laughs> great experience, you know, to be able to to mother them or, or to big brother them, you know, because sometimes, you know, that's my what they might need is just a, a shoulder to, to lean on or else they might just need a kick up the backside. So uh, to be able to do both is a, a good skill. <laughs> Very good. Listen, Deirdre, I've really enjoyed our chat. We've been going for, for, for a good while there. So I think we have to call a day on these at some stage. So we'll, we'll, we'll draw a line under it there. But that's been really, really fascinating. I think the job that you do sounds really, really interesting. And hopefully, um, yeah, some of the students listening, it might be a, a, an avenue, a career avenue that they wouldn't have considered yet, but they might be considering now after hearing you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And look, I'm always you know, open to talking to people who are interested in this area because it's it's something I'm passionate about and we want to build for the future. So if there are any students out there who, who want to know more, I'm, I'm happy to have a, a chat further. Oh, you might regret saying that now. <laughs> Inundated recalls. Deirdre, thank you very much. No problem at all, Bruce. Thank you. That was fantastic. It was great to catch up with Deirdre and chat about a role that I'm relatively unfamiliar with, but that I find very interesting. Rugby has always been a favourite sport of mine, but I've never actually worked within the sport, so I'm always fascinated to hear about any behind-the-scenes stuff. Here are my three take-home points from my conversation with Deirdre. First up, the importance of maximising your time. Deirdre's remit is to help the players maximise their time to ensure that they are well-positioned to transition out of the game at the end of their career. This is something we should all be doing. How can you maximise your time as a student? Are there any small extra things you can do during your course that will help you stand out from the crowd when you graduate? Next up, we have the importance of networking. Deirdre helps her players to recognise and build their network so that it can be leveraged to their advantage. I am doing the same with this podcast, using my network to generate guests and create content. You may not realise it, but you are already building your own network college, sport, work placement and jobs, you are meeting new people all the time. Find out who they are and let them get to know you. You never know when you might need them to ask them a favour. Finally, be kind. Don't feed the trolls or be a troll. 
Be aware of your presence online and think about the image you want to create for yourself. Don't let something stupid or mean that you post now come back to haunt you in a few years' time. Consider how your network and your online presence might overlap or collide. Ensure you appear how you want to appear. Okay, that's it for today. If you've made it this far, you might do one more thing and share the episode. It would be great to spread the word and build our audience. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, then you can catch me on Instagram at B underscore wardrobe. I welcome any suggestions or feedback that you, yes you, might have for the show. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you in the next episode.